Welcome to Dig Deep, the mining podcast. In this podcast, we go deep into mining news, hot topics, and live interviews with mining professionals and leading figures in the mining industry. Introducing your host, Rob Tyson, founder and director of Mining International and Mining International Executive, a leading global mining recruitment and headhunting agency. Hi, mining community. Welcome back to another episode of the Dig Deep, the mining podcast. And today's guest, who is a returning guest who has appeared twice before, and the last time was in October 2021, which was episode 178. So um, those that are listening, please uh, go back and revisit that episode. So we have Daniel Major, who's the CEO of Govi X Uranium, who are a mineral resource company focused on the exploration and development of its Afri- African uh, uranium uh, properties in Niger and have two permit, mine permitted projects in Zambia and Mali. Uh, Daniel is a, a Campbell School of Mines mine engineering graduate um, and has been at the helm of uh, GOBX since 2012, developing the company into the position to become a uranium producer in the near future. And he's here today to give us an update on the company um, and a little bit more about the uh, uranium market in general. Um, Daniel's going to be intent, uh, attending the Europe's largest mining event, Resourcing Tomorrow, which is formerly known as Mind to Money uh, in London, which is taking place uh, on the 28th to 30th of November. Um, so it's a great platform for the entire, entire value uh, mining value chain, uh, fostering learning, lively debates and providing valuable networking opportunities. Um, so please register now. Um, there's a, a link below in the show notes of Companies Podcast uh, to receive a discount on early bird tickets using the code DIGDEEP10. So I encourage you to uh, go and uh, register and sign up to get a ticket uh, now or after this episode. So that's welcome, Daniel, to the podcast. How are you doing, Daniel? I'm doing very good. And yourself? I'm doing very well. This is a Friday we're recording this. And as we were speaking off air, I think we've both had a very busy week. So... Um, I appreciate you uh, taking the time to have a chat with us. So, for those that didn't listen to the, um, haven't listened to your previous episodes and may not know uh, about you, although I think a majority of our audience do, just wanted me to just give us a quick, uh, brief summary of of yourself and uh, and of your career. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I'm a mining engineer. Uh, went to the Campbell School of Mines when it was in Campbell, um, so it was that long ago. Um, yep. Uh, I have worked all over the world on every continent. I've worked in multiple commodities. I spent time as a rated equity analyst as well. So I've had a thoroughly enjoyable 35 years plus in this industry. Uh, I've seen it change, but in many ways it hasn't changed at all. Um, and that, and that's because it's an exciting industry. It's, it's always different. Um, every opportunity brings something else around the corner. Um, we were, I was chatting with, uh, uh, my head of corporate uh, communications, Isabel, earlier, and each of our companies we move through, uh, things that dr- make you learn and uh, et cetera, always different things. So, uh, yeah, thoroughly enjoyed it. And now doing uranium in Africa, so thoroughly enjoying it. Yeah, great. So I just want to just give us a, a quick overview of uh, GoVX. Yeah, absolutely. I'm going to have to correct part of your intro for you. Sorry, but yeah. So we have... Uh, the two core projects are the two permitted projects, and they are Niger and Zambia. Uh, and then we have an exploration property in Mali. Um, so we have the Madawela project in Niger, fully mine permitted. We had got the feasibility study done on that. 
uh, we were just about to go into the due diligence stage for the debt side. Um, unfortunately, and we'll probably come back to it, there was a coup on July the 26th in Niger, which is obviously their coups are quite common in, in West Africa, but this put something of a pause on um, the process on moving on forward on the debt. So we can come back to that. We have a, a project in Zambia called Matanga. Uh, we're currently finishing the feasibility study on that one. Uh, that will then go into the financing. So this is about developing new projects. Um, the uranium market is is absolutely flying at the moment. I mean, we've been talking, those of us feel like broken records, talking about supply and demand fundamentals, changing and improving tightness in the market, declining inventories, all these good things. And then finally, the clock is right <laughs> and it's absolutely flying. Um, obviously, that's that's. I suppose we can start there with obviously the, the uranium market. Um, like you said, it's flying at the moment. Um, uranium prices have sort of jumped twelve percent um, over the past month um, and rising to the highest levels in twelve years, which I think I believe is definitely needed. What is really the driving force behind um, the rise in the uranium market, and why is it happening right now? Uh Two well, one we've just been through our eleven year bull market. So the best thing for 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 you know needing to get prices to move up is low prices, and then ultimately they will react and change. Um, we had to work through inventory as an industry. Uh, we had to see a turnaround in public sentiment for nuclear, um, and to see that turn from decline to growth. Uh, so if you look at the demand side, you're now looking at a scenario where. We're looking at between now and 2040, over 4% per annum growth in the nuclear industry from demand. It's become very clear that nuclear has to be a part of the base low power. If you want clean energy, you can't do it with renewables alone. And certainly, if you want it to be commercially viable, you can't do it without with renewables. Uh, renewables are actually more expensive if you account for the other power source that you need or the batteries that you need. Uh, when the sun is not shining and the wind is not blowing, um, then nuclear and nuclear assets are long life assets. I mean, the US is looking at 80 years, potentially 100 years for nuclear reactors to operate. So, you know, you get a great return on your capital at the end of the day. They're very safe. Um, and we've got the development of the small modular reactors now. The, you know, big reactors are 1. 1,300 megawatts, put it in the same terms. Small reactors go down to 10 megawatts. Um, and obviously, you know, if you want to replace a 300 megawatt coal-fired power station, why not just put in a 300 megawatt small reactor instead? The grid's already there. So we've had this political shift. There's also a lot of link to this behind security of supply of your energy source. You know, if you're relying on bulk type, whether it's coal, whether it's gas in Europe or oil, um, you know, those are big volumes. So you can get a very small volume for nuclear, for uranium, uh, and run a large power station for a considerable period of time. So access to your material, your access and removing security of supply is another big aspect for a, a lot of jurisdictions uh, as they go forward. And also the pragmatism of you need critical minerals to do renewables. You don't need critical minerals to run nuclear power stations. Um, and so all of the things that we're looking for actually generally are available. Um, the issue for uranium, though, is while there's a lot of it around, it's in the seawater, it's everywhere. Um, it's getting it at commercial levels. And so on the other side of that, we haven't seen any investment since 2007, 2008 into a new build 
Uh, old projects are coming to the end of their lives. We consume about 190 million pounds of uranium a year. We produce 134 million pounds. So we're filling a gap by using up inventory the whole time. Well, you know, you can only take things out of the cupboard for so long, and then the cupboard becomes very bare. On top of that, you've got the risk coming through from Russia and everybody trying to avoid Russian material. Uh, that's had an effect on the downstream part. We have to process our uranium we mine through various stages. Now, most of that processing is actually done, that conversion and enrichment is done in Russia. Um, so we've seen a, a real switch away from that. Uh, that has put tightness on the enrichment side. So those guys are having to work harder, which is even using up more uranium. So on the supply side, uh, on the demand side, more pressure. The supply side is under a lot of pressure as well. Um, and we needed higher prices to be able to motivate new project projects. If you look at the WNA, which is kind of a, a more neutral forecast uh, that they kind of come by mutual agreement to a number. But what they're saying is that even if every project comes on that we know about beyond 2020 to 2028, there isn't enough material potentially mined that can come on after that. We, we don't know what the projects are that are going to fill that gap. Uh, and I think the other thing that's been highlighted, the coup in Niger being part of it, where the Camacos suddenly announced they can't get their production for this year. They're down three million pounds, which is about 10 percent of their production. You look at another project called Peninsula, who's suddenly a year late because of contractual issues. And then even the production that's due to come, there's no guarantee it's going to get there. These are mines. Um, and so that is now starting to force it out. If you just spent 10, 15 billion dollars building a nuclear reactor, you don't skimp on getting the fuel. Um, you make sure it's fueled up and running. We've obviously we just spoken about the price has sort of risen just recently. Um, when do you think the next leg up is? Obviously, I hear a lot of commentators say that uranium needs to, needs to get to 70 pounds, uh, 70 dollars a pound to sort of incentivize it, or maybe a little bit more than that. When do you think that leg next leg up is? Or uh, again, I'm not asking for specific dates, but what what is the driving force to get that next leg up? Well, and there's two parts of this. Obviously, is the spot market and there's the contract market here as well. And the contract market reports monthly. It's still actually on 58. The spot market's up at 66, 67. I, I um and and again, they're very different. One trades only a small volume, and it's for the now delivery. That that spot market is going to continue to trend up. I mean, it's 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 got a long, probably got quite a long way to go still. Um, where that peak price for contract is is probably somewhere between sixty five and seventy. If you can contract out mines at those levels, there's a lot of projects around the world who can come on stream at roughly those prices. As I said, even if you put them all in, it still doesn't fill the gap. Um, so, you know, there is that potential to go even further than this. Um, the the knock-on effect that comes through this that we all have to remember is that whatever price nuclear reactor companies pay for their fuel ultimately converts into a power price that you and I pay every time we turn our kettle on. So there is that balance that everybody has to find here between what you pay for uranium um, and uh, what you're going to pay at the power. And, and obviously in countries like the US, where they're very regulated on power, um, that price has got to be dealt with. But yeah, definitely going to go higher. Uh, contract market's still got to make that final move. Um, you know, spot price, we, we saw 140 in the last big cycle. 
who's to say it can't do that again? Um, we'll watch. Uh, but, you know, we're excited that now both of our projects are doable at the current price. So for us, it's it's great. We can now get both of our projects up and going. So for us, it's try and get them to that stage as fast as possible. Obviously, you mentioned the, the coup in Nigeria. Um, why why are you in a better position than some of uh, your competitors? Obviously, why why that event was going on? Well, because I have this two projects. So most companies that we deal with and our peers only have one project within their basket. Um, and that's the project they're trying to to develop. So if something goes wrong in their region, uh, whether it's, you know, um, social, whether it's political, whether it's environmental, the, the, we at least had that ability to switch sides if we needed to do that. Um, and, you know, we're now able to make sure that our Zambian project is pushing forward uh, while we wait to resolve what is going on in Niger. We keep pushing forward on that. And it's in some ways, it's kind of helped us because now people people were so fixated on us just being mad at Wella. Now, all of a sudden, they're realizing what we've been telling them, which is actually, guys, we have this really, really good project down in Zambia. It's very straightforward. It's an open pit heat leaching operation, very low acid consuming, very low milling costs as well. It's easy to break. I mean, I've got a video of a guy just stamping on the rocks uh, to break them. So, you know. I did say that's probably more expensive than milling, given his consultancy fees. Um, but you know, so, um, but you know, when it comes down to keeping your unit cost down for production, these are all positives for the project has uh, to go to the next stage. So for us, we'll just move that one forward while we wait, um, and then ultimately, hopefully, we get two projects, and that helps as well. When you're looking to contract your material, you're contracting to deliver from a mine generally. But if you're able to say, well, I've actually got another mine. So if this one's struggling, I can make up my volumes somewhere else and cover over, which makes you a better cust uh, supplier to the customer. Um, could companies uh, such as obviously yourself actually benefit from a from a coup? Um, as obviously as less material in the market could drive up prices. Um, it, it will have an impact, um, you know. Interestingly, Arana, the only supplier producer at the moment, had just shipped before the coup. They only ship on a quarterly basis. So depending on how long it takes for this coup to resolve and, and give everybody comfort uh, and the borders to open, it will depend how long that material it comes through. If it's extended, um, Niger is 25% of all Europe's uranium supply comes from Niger. And so it'll have to be offset um and they'll have to find that material if it's extended for a very long period of time then yes it is the seventh large largest producer it's only four percent of the total market but when you're in a market that is already in deficit anyway any loss of uranium is felt uh through that market so yeah we, we need niger to get resolved uh and production to come back out of uh all of the projects there uh, you recently did a video on Twitter saying that at current valuations, investors would be getting uh, Matanga really cheap and uh, and your other project, uh, Madalula, for free. Um, could you tell us a little bit more about the Matanga project? Yeah, so I'm saying that's the really simple one down in Zambia. Um, it's got a NPV at the current price. In fact, it's 66, which is lower than the current price. Uh, of 189 million US dollars and our market cap 70 million dollars um you know i think we could improve on that project in the way we're going forward on some of the engineering uh, that we're going but you know only time will ultimately tell it's got bigger we released a new resource 
So we've got more pounds in the resource. We've got a better grade out of the resource. These things, as you can appreciate, help the economics of a project as well. Um, and with the higher price, we used 58 and now it's 65. So these are all good things for us. Uh, and here, as I saying, you know, we're now trading at like 0 0.38, 0 0.4 times our NAV. Well, that doesn't even include our Madawella project. So if the coup in Niger comes to a point of stabilization that we can go back to our financing discussions, then that should give us a massive uplift. And I'm quite optimistic we will get to that point uh, in that country. Um, do you think uh, there is a way to accelerate the Matanga um, and develop uh, develop that first until the situation in Niger sort of stabilizes? Uh, yeah, I mean, we we go as hard and as fast as we can. I mean, obviously, you've got to be sensible about your cash flows as well here. Uh, you also don't want to just skip things just to be fast. You know, you're, you're making a commitment for a project that's got to last 11, 12 years with exploration upside. Um, you know, we've got to make sure all aspects of that project are there, including people. Uh, we started an adult education program earlier this year to make sure that our local population could access the jobs on the mine because the the skill sets were not there so you need to have that time frame to be building but yeah we go as fast as we can um on this and i think as we go to the next stage after the feasibility study subject to those results then you know what was clear when we were looking for the debt financing for niger is that zambia is probably going to have a wider scope of lenders potentially for it because a lot of the sadek uh, banks won't go as high up into West Africa. Uh, they very much stay in the SADC region. Uh, in the past, you've talked about ESG and how you're formalising uh, ESG at GoVX. Why is ESG important for developers like yourselves um, who are yet not yet producing? Um, for a whole bunch of things. Um, we, we start with ESG, not just on a day-to-day -day operational point of view. We even put ESG into our project. So whenever we start a kick off a project, like the Matanga project, the first discussion is actually ESG. It's like, what are the ESG issues that we're going to have to deal with here? Uh, whether it's environmental, whether it's social, whether it's governance, that's the first conversation we actually have. And then figure out what those risks are. And then we do a very much part of our design process is clearing out those risks and mitigating those risks. So we very much take our whole concept from that point. You obviously have it on a day-to-day, -day, and, you know, ESG is not new. I mean, we've all been doing it in the mining industry for a damn long time. Uh, in fact, ever since I've been in this industry, you know, there's it's, it's nothing new about it. It's, it's you know, the best way I describe it is, is really just the way you operate. It's ISO. For those that know ISO, that's effectively ESG. You're basically monitoring what you do checking it's right, checking the risks and making sure that you are doing the right thing. And if you're not, how do you change your systems to correct for it? Set your targets and go to the next side. So it's it's good operating practice. So I think no matter what you're doing, whether you're an explorer or a developer or a miner, there are aspects of it. So in Zambia, for example, we now recycle about 40% of everything that we consume on the mine goes back out again. I mean, there's some things we can't recycle for various reasons. And there's even waste food, which we actually give to the local villages for their pigs, which so ultimately gets recycled um, in a slightly different way. Um, but, you know, these are aspects that you can have a look at that have benefits. 
um, the way that you do your governance, the way you look after your people are all part of that. And that doesn't matter whether you're an explorer or a miner. Um, the other side of it is it's really important to the lenders. Uh, you can't borrow money from uh, the majority of the global lenders out there without a, a full ESG audit. And increasingly now, the utilities demand ESG. So all of the European utilities will not buy uranium from you unless they do an ESG audit. We're increasingly seeing the governance rules, particularly in Europe, demanding not just scope one, scope two, but scope three. So the utilities are now pushing down their their you know emission scopes down to, and that's where it's going, is that we're going to have to put more pressure on where we are going from our uh, ESG requirements to be able to report back up again. So while we don't have to report against them, we are going to have to provide the information to the, our customers because they're going to need them in the future as well. So you do have to look at it across the whole chain um, of your business. It's not just you and your isolation. It's everything else around it. Obviously, for um, the, the audience that are listening, some may invest in, uh, in companies or invest in the mining industry. Why should investors look at GoVX as part of their portfolio? Uh, well, you know, we've talked about the two key things here. One is the uranium price is absolutely fantastic. I mean, it is finally turning around. And we've just been doing call investor calls this week. It's been a target. And uh, we did eight yesterday in, in, in four hours. And it was like bang, bang, bang. And we did that again on Monday. And we have another one straight after your call today. And I've got a whole round on Monday. So all of a sudden, we've got this real wake up. And a lot of people have not been investing in the cycle. It made the front page of the FT the other day. It's in The Economist as well, I saw. So, you know, a commodity that has been pretty well ignored is now suddenly getting shunted to the front. So one thing you as a investor always looking for is momentum. The momentum is definitely in the uranium market. As we said, we're, we're massively undervalued. We've got two great projects. You're getting one of them for a third of its value and the other one you get for free and is a complete leverage. So if that changes around, you get all of that uplift that's sitting there in that project as well. So there are many good reasons to be investing in GoVX. Yeah. And lastly, uh, as a conclusion, just wonder if there's anything else that you'd like to add. And also, what does the sort of next six to 12 months look like? Well, I'll start with that one. Next six to 12 months for us, obviously, will a lot will depend on what goes on in Niger. If that one gets resolved, then we restart all of our debt conversations, move forward to looking to close that financing as quickly as possible. Um, you know, our target was to get into production in Niger by 2026. That's still a possibility, but we would need to get clarity. Uh, in Zambia, uh, by mid-year next year, we'd be looking to get out a feasibility study and start its debt conversation, looking to target roughly 2027, then depending on Niger uh, for the development. So there's plenty to look forward to as a company going forward um i think we've covered all the, the key it's you know as, as you said why invest uranium market and more importantly you know where we are as a company and our valuation yeah daniel really appreciate your time i know you've uh, as you mentioned had a busy week talking to uh investors so i really appreciate your time um obviously wish you uh well for the, the remainder of the year going into next year if our audience wants to obviously follow uh, your story in GoVX, how can they go about doing that? Obviously, you mentioned you, you are on Twitter. Um, is there any other social media platforms you're on? Well, the best place is actually just go to our website at govx.com. Uh, if you've got any questions, send them to info at govx.com. 
Uh, and between those two, you'll pretty well pick us up. So that'd be a great, great place to start. Yeah. And we'll include those in the show notes accompanying this as well. And obviously you're going to be at the um, Resourcing Tomorrow event at the end of November uh, where you're yeah. um, going to be speaking. So again, please, those are still listening, uh, please book, go and book your tickets. All the details are accompanying show notes. Um, and obviously you can hear hear more um, about GoVX. And if you've got any questions, you can obviously ask Daniel in person. So um, really appreciate your time again, Daniel. Thank you very much. Um, those that are listening, uh, thank you. Appreciate your continued support. Um, please share this episode uh, with people in the mining industry, but also people outside of the mining industry as well. We need to, especially around uranium, it might have a... Um, might have, an, I suppose, a negativity around uranium because people don't actually understand what uranium is. So appreciate if you can pass this episode on to other people outside of the mining industry um, to educate them as well. So until next time, happy mining. Thank you for listening. Remember to reach out to Rob via the show notes and be sure to subscribe and leave a review. Until next time, happy mining, helping each other to improve the mining industry.